When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another segment of the PI Window on the World Show. As always, I'm your host, John Hansen. And if my voice fades in and out a little bit, uh, please understand, I, I'm actually caught the cold. I have four kids, and uh, they got it at school. They get it. They bring it home. They have it for 24 hours, and they feel great. I get it, and it's been now going into uh, week number two with it. So if my voice fades, again, uh, I, I hope you'll understand. Now, this is going to be an interesting show because last year, of course, we had the opportunity with the, I guess, the inaugural uh, program of the Top 30 Under 30 to talk with a couple of the winners. Uh, today, we have joining us this year's megawatt winner, Amy Giorgi, and, and I, I think I, I pronounced that right. See, I should have checked, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I'll blame it on the cough medicine if I, if I didn't. And also joining from ThomasNet is Kristen Carty. Now, this is an interesting kind of discussion because I I had a chance to briefly talk with Amy uh, in the virtual green room. And the, the interesting thing is, is that she's top 30 under 30. Of course, there's that young, youthful enthusiasm that we need to drive the industry. But she's been in the profession for nine years. And, and I think she has a funny story, by the way, as to how she fell uh, into it. Uh, something about being lonely and waiting for the FedEx guy. But I'll let her tell you that because I think it's worth noting. But I uh, want to remind everybody, again, that we're broadcasting live, however, if you're not able to tune in, not a problem, because the entire segment is going to be recorded, which, of course, means that you're able to listen to it at uh, your convenience on an on-demand basis. Uh, just one of the great, great features of Blog Talk Radio. I know we've been talking about this. Uh, we're within, uh, within two shows of the thousandth show, one or two shows. I, I, you know, I lose count, but a thousand shows. And, and I just want to remind everybody uh, that, that I really appreciate your tuning in all this time. I mean, we took to the airways uh, at first, March 26, 2009, uh, and I never envisioned that we would do a thousand shows. Uh, it, was, it was all brand new territory. But uh, let's face it, the reason I'm here, the reason we're still broadcasting is because you're there listening, and you've turned this into one of the most popular shows on Blog Talk Radio. I think I'd mentioned before, out of the 15,000 or so shows they have, We've been ranked within the top 300, which uh, which is a is, is a pretty good number. And, and our listener base goes average per month uh, between 15 and 20,000 listeners. So you know, just again, uh, thank you, thank you for tuning in. Now, without further delay, because this isn't about us, this is about uh, the uh, top 30 under 30 uh, megawatt winner. I want to welcome to the show Amy Giorgi and, of course, from ThomasNet, uh, Kristen Carty. Uh, ladies, welcome. How are you today? I'll start Pretty with you, good, Amy. Thank you for having us. Well, it, 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 it's great to have you and, uh, and, and, and certainly to share a little bit about this. Uh, Amy, I want to get to your story as to how you fell into the profession. And I don't know if falling into it. You see, I think it was a conscientious choice. 
uh, based on loneliness or what you figured out in terms of uh, your father's experience as a count. I want to get into that momentarily. But, but Kristen, if you could, just take about 30, 40 seconds in terms of the top 30 under 30, because, uh, you know, I know we talked uh, and did a broadcast last week where we went into more depth of it. But from your perspective and Thomas Nett's perspective, why is this program so important? Well, John, we really, and again, thanks again for having us on today. Um, I know you had talked with ML Peck and Zana Sakali last week. You did a great interview with those, with uh, the two of them. So thanks for that. Um, but basically just, you know, the overall goal of the whole 30 Under 30 program is really to just um, advance the supply chain profession, right? So to bring awareness to the variety of opportunities that exist for young professionals out there today, as well as bring attention to the amazing pool of talent that there is out there in the millennial generation. Um, you know, baby boomers are really retiring at a rapid rate now, and we need those innovative, creative, and talented young people to fill those positions. So we're really just doing this program to highlight those two things. Well, now you see, and I've got to ask this because uh, about a year and a half ago, I read a study, and they're saying, especially with the uh, uh, generation next, as I call them, the up-and-coming generation, that there is a lot of competition from industries, all industries, for the, 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 the insight and enthusiasm and, 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 and the next generation of, of, of professionals, whether it be, again, in procurement, whether it be in accounting, the legal profession, or any other field of endeavor they choose. Is this important? Like you'd think, given the fact that we're all going through a generational shift, um, outside of ISM and ThomasNet, I don't know of anyone else who's really creating what you can call a farm system development or creating awareness of the profession so that people can actively know about it and choose to be in it. I mean, would I be wrong in saying that? I mean, I think in a way you are a little wrong in saying that. I mean, people like yourselves even are creating awareness of it, doing things like this interview. Um, we've had a ton of media coverage on the program both last year and this year. And, you know, the support of the media is really what's driving this program and the profession as a whole. So now, okay, now I'm going to switch over to Amy, and I'm going to ask you to give us a little bit of the background of the story, Amy. But when when you're listening to what Kristen is saying, and, and thank you, by the way, Kristen, I mean, hopefully the blogs, the radio shows, and, and what we're all doing is, is creating an awareness of the profession for the next generation who will take the torch from us. But, Amy, is, is there a certain amount of pressure on you more so? Uh, I mean, you're the megawatt winner, you're featured front and center, you are doing all the interviews, uh, so to speak. Uh, is there a sort of a, an added pressure to you on this, being thrust into the limelight as, as, as you are under a, such an important program? Um, I don't know if it's additional pressure maybe, but um, I mean, there's certainly additional responsibility that goes along with it. But I, it's been a great last, you know, month or so here being able to talk and promote the profession. Um, you know, as you said, I've been in the industry for about nine years now. And over the course of that time, I have seen um, the level of supply chain and procurement really be elevated within organizations and within kind of the general population's understanding. Um, when I first started, I remember any time I would tell somebody I, what I was going to school for, they are like, which is supply chain management, like what do you do with that? Like how is that a, a career or whatever? And now it's very commonplace, you know, when you're at a cocktail party or whatever and you're chatting with somebody and I mention what I do for a living, people know somebody else who does it or they understand it as more of a concept. And so I do think that um, programs similar to this are creating a lot of awareness for the profession and hopefully continuing to um, recruit the appropriate talent that we really need to fill these roles. 
Now, your entry in profession, let's get on that and, and share that story that you shared with me in the green room. Um, but before you, you do, just, just a quick side note in there is that it, obviously when you got into the profession, and without giving anything away, it, it was through circumstances, uh, through where you are now in a program such as this. Is this more proactively engaging people and making them aware? You, you mentioned you go out to a party and people know someone in the profession. I mean, is that the kind of elevation that you're talking about? Is that they look at and say it's an option that you choose to take versus, uh, and, and again, we've talked about this many times in previous segments, of where people sort of fell into it. I mean, based on how you got in and, and where people are coming in, that's the elevation that you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, many people who came out of school with me just happened to find the major, um, where now I would say for most supply chain programs across the country, a lot of people are actually entering their four-year university based on the fact that they have a supply chain program and they're interested in it prior to getting to college versus kind of finding it in the mix. So. Got it. So now let, this goes back to how did you get into it? Share with our audience because I thought it was a great story. Yeah, so I, you know, growing up, I always knew I wanted to be in business. My dad was an accountant, so that was kind of what I was exposed to. Um, so the summer after my senior year, he had me spend um, the summer working for him in his office. So I did, you know, accounts payable, accounts receivable type work. And um, it was really isolating. <laughs> Every afternoon, I, I told you, I was really excited to see the FedEx guy because I got to sign for our packages and I got to talk to a human being for like five minutes. And so by the end of the summer, I realized that maybe accounting or at least that kind of accounting was definitely not the right fit for me, um, that I was a little bit more of a social person than that and needed to be in a career environment where I could interact more throughout the day um, with other people. So I already knew I was going to Arizona State, which ended up being very fortunate because, um, you know, um, at the time when I was entering the University Fall of uh, 2003, um, there were a lot less supply chain programs available than there are now. Um, so I began looking at the various business majors within Arizona State going, okay, if I'm not going to do accounting, what else are my options? And I came across supply chain management and read like this little paragraph they had on the website about it. And it really struck me. I was like, wait, people get paid to like evaluate bids and work with suppliers and negotiate things. Like, how is this actually a major? This is exactly what I did in student council in high school. And I loved it. I planned prom as like our junior class president and various other dances. And I loved working with all the other vendors and trying to get a good deal and get good services for the students and kind of make everybody happy in the process. And so it really was kind of a light bulb moment that I could make a career out of something that I had already really enjoyed doing previously. See, now I have to ask this, and Kristen, I'll, I'll, I just want to go back to you on this. Uh, listening to Amy, how she got into it and found it. I mean, do you find over the years uh, in, in your time involved uh, that there's been a better understanding of what it actually means to be in procurement, let's say from five, ten years ago? I definitely think that things have evolved in the past, you know, five to ten years. Um, I personally have only been with Thomas for four years, and even in that small period of time, I feel like there is a much larger focus now on supply chain as a major in college. You know, you go to different events, the ISM, obviously their national conference as well as some other ones, and you'll see those big schools, you know, the Arizona States like 
uh, like Annie had gone to, um, they're all promoting themselves there now. They're all promoting graduate programs as well. Um, and I, I think there are a lot of people that are actually going back to school to change their major to supply chain, which is, you know, another focus of this program. It's not all about just making that decision as you go into school. You know, some people get into a career and find that they're not happy with it, and supply chain is a great opportunity, and it's something that you can change to, um, you know, and take the skills that you've learned in previous positions and incorporate them into a bigger and better job within the supply chain. Now, you see, this interesting, going back to you, Amy, and again, nine years ago, Arizona, uh, which is, of course, uh, one of the first or, or at least one of the most dominant uh, uh, sources of, of, of education in terms of the procurement world uh, was there, and, and that was one of the few options that are available. There's now more. Let me ask you, from that starting point in time and what you learned there to where you are today and what you've learned in the intervening years, how much of a difference is there for someone entering the profession now and looking at their, their, their education options as opposed to yourself? Like, not just in terms of having more options, but the actual, actual nature of, of, of what's being taught in relation to procurement. Oh, there's been huge strides, I would say, in that arena. Um, I'm still closely tied with some of my professors at Arizona State, and it's been interesting to see the curriculum evolve. Um, when I was there um, from 2003 to 2007, um, supply chain, even in books, it was very um, – limited and at that time I would say it was more like you can have a logistics book or you can have a procurement book or you can have an operations management book but you can't really buy a holistic book nobody had written one yet and I would say um, all of that has kind of continued to progress and evolve and um, you know as the world is looking more globally there's really a need for people to be really integrated supply managers that make you know um, decisions based on total cost and those kinds of things. And so I would say as well as more universities offering programs, I would say the content that's available to be offered has also expanded greatly as the um, industry essentially of supply chain has evolved in the last decade. Now, is it safe to say, because as I'm listening to you talk, you're sort of, again, and we, we were kidding at the beginning, you know, you, you're, you are representative of the generation next because you are 30 or less, although you said you're at the long end of the tail in that regard, but you've been in the profession for nine years. Are you really what you would call the bridge, the generational bridge uh, from what was taught and what we knew about the profession before and where it's going now and the people who are entering this profession now? Um, I feel a little bit like I fall in the bridge zone um, just based on, um, you know, looking at my new colleagues that are coming fresh out of school and looking at what they were able to learn in school versus what I was able to learn. Um, and I think even um, the way that our generation approaches things um, has changed a little bit in a decade, right? If you think about a, a span of siblings, if you had a sibling that was nine or ten years younger than you, they would have a very different experience than you. Um, and so I, I do think I'm kind of that bridge between um, the older generation and the up-and-coming, the next generation, for sure. Now, in terms of that, where do you see yourself going in the next five years? Well, let's ask you two questions. Where do you see the profession five years from now? Where do you envision it being five years from now? And that's just the number of the year. It could be four years. It could be ten. But let's go with five. And then uh, where do you see yourself fitting into that, uh, the, 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 the procurement world at that time? So I think within the next five years um, – 
from my perspective, there's usually a few um, really leading edge companies, really large companies that have a lot of supply chain muscle um, that kind of come up with these new innovative ideas. You know, for example, the Toyota production system, right? That's been around for a long time, but it was because a large company had some muscle and around supply chain and some ideas and were able to execute on that. And then various companies kind of copy it and it proliferates down to smaller and smaller organizations. Um, and so really the things that you know you run into when you go to an ISM conference, you know, looking at the total cost of ownership, I think that's going to be huge. There's a lot of changes in currency that are, are occurring throughout the world. And you know, what might have been a really great business decision a few years ago isn't anymore. And so um, I think that you'll continue to see the profession um, evolve and you'll continue to see those ideas really kind of trickle down from large organizations. I mean, lean is huge. It's, it's going to continue to be huge. Um, and I think that you'll see that adopted um, more rapidly across um, smaller organizations that maybe haven't bought in previously. Um, that's where I see the industry just kind of continuing to go. Um, Okay, That's before we go on to you, one, one, one thought that came to mind is that from a technological standpoint and technology's impact, uh, a couple of interesting statistics. Uh, there was a study done where they said that the vast majority of people under the age of 35 have either never used a PC desktop or a notebook, and that they're handheld devices, wearable devices, areas like that. So first of all, is it a fair question to say that this next generation coming up is far more comfortable with technology? And the type of technologies, when you talk about mobile technology, when you talk about uh, iPhones and other areas where, you know, you can literally function on a 24-7 basis. I mean, is that something that you see happening as well? Oh, definitely. Um, the the up-and-coming or the next generation, as you like to call them, is much more familiar and much more comfortable with technologies. And I think because of that, um, there's a higher standard that the customer expects um, they expect more ready access to um, information and process flows. Um, and as a supply chain, we have to be ready to deliver on those things, right? Um, so I do think that technology is key, and I think that plays into the profession in so many ways. Um, essentially, it's, you, know, you also are finding that the next generation is very willing to be constantly connected for work, and they're willing to carry the mobile devices and answer those quick emails. And it's really facilitating a very rapid flow of information around the world with our global supply chains, and it's really enabling that. Um, I actually have worked remotely for four years, which, I mean, a decade ago, that would never have been fathomed or possible, right? Um, and it's been working really well for me, and it's been working really well for, for my corporation, um, and we've been able to do that. So um, I've actually worked off-site as long as I've worked on-site <laughs> now. So um, I do think that technology um, is a big player in the supply chain, both because the next generation is very comfortable with it and because the next generation customers expect us to be able to utilize that to get them information. Okay, now in that backdrop, and again, I, I, I'm sure to delay you on this, because Chris, and I have to ask you this, and, and I know you've been with ThomasNet for four years. Do you think that the procurement industry, when it comes to technology, 
is, is on the leading edge or are they on react or catch up mode? And the reason I ask this is obviously if, if technology is something that the, 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 the newer generation is comfortable with, is used to using, obviously those industries that are, are most advanced in this area, that'll be one of the draws. I mean, do you agree with that statement and, and, and in terms of that that can be a draw for people coming into the profession? And are we doing all we can in, in the field, in the, in, in the industry, to keep ourselves on that leading edge? Yeah, I, I do agree with that statement. Um, you know, I, I think everyone, you know, as millennials, people who are on the next generation, as you're calling them, that are coming into the profession, you know, they want to work in a dynamic environment. They want, you know, they like technology. They're used to it. Um, it's the way that they've grown up using it all the time. And I think, you know, it, it's great for companies to take advantage of working with those young individuals. And I think people that have been in the profession for a long time can learn from this next generation as they move, you know, and, and kind of are able to mentor up the chain as well as down the chain. All right. So now within that context, and it took a while to frame the picture, I'll go back to you, Amy. Moving in that direction, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, so obviously I'm really enjoying working remotely. That's working out really well for me personally. Um, I see myself, I've already actually started kind of evaluating MBA programs and seeing what would be the right fit for me personally. Um, I, I enjoy teaching and training others, and even working remotely, it's been very possible to use various technologies to facilitate that. Um, I mean, I was able to train our team in Berlin prior to um, an ERP system implementation there. Um, I have trained people in the UK, both remotely and on site. Um, and that's just something I really enjoy and I find very fulfilling. Um, so I can, I'm kind of toying with the idea of pursuing an MBA essentially so that I can um, be an adjunct professor um, kind of in the evenings as something sort of additional. Um, and I think it will be a nice way for me to kind of give back what my supply chain experiences have been because um, I always found that some of the best professors in college were those that had been in industry, right, those that really knew it and weren't just doing the research side. Um, so I'm hopeful that I'll be able to give back in that way, but I'm also hoping to um, connect with the generation sort of younger than me so that I can also stay up on those technologies and be challenged by them in new ways. Um, so, so that's kind of next steps for me at this point. So the M M MBA and all of this, which you're really looking at is planning, how can I give back to the industry that's been uh, so generous with me? Um, what about what about factors such as you know and, and this has been a long held uh, uh, goal of having a seat at the executive table and and being able to to elevate the profession to the point where you are really proactively involved at the same level as a CFO or or, or, or a CIO. Do you know what I mean by that, Amy? I mean they, they, that's been sort of a Rodney Dangerfield type of uh, uh, inferiority complex in the profession for so long. I don't know. I, I, I think somehow uh, many want to hold on to it still because they're familiar with it. But like. Is there going to be or do you see a more holistic approach to business where the procurement world, well, now it's recognized for its strategic impact across the entire enterprise, but within the profession itself, is the education itself going to expand further so that you are now looking at these other areas and there's going to be overlaps? 
So, so absolutely, right? Supply chain touches so many things. Inevitably, you are going to have some overlap with, um, you know, your finance functions and your marketing functions to make sure that you're in sync for the promotions that are coming up and different things. You know, I'm fortunate to work at a corporation where um, we do have a VP of supply chain that does have a seat at the executive table and definitely has a very strong um, way in and is able to push strategic initiatives and, you know, get the funding that we need for the right kinds of training and tools and those things. Um, but I, I do understand that there are many corporations where that's not yet the case. Um, I do think that as people continue to see the strategic advantage of supply chain, right? I mean, most companies spend millions and billions of dollars in the year. And I mean, being able to do things to manipulate those costs, to change those costs, to reduce risk and liability, um, it's, a, it's a huge part of the corporation, right? It's not just accounting for the numbers of what has happened. It's being able to drive that change. So I think that there will be um, – an elevation of the profession over time. I think there already has been a huge elevation, right? It used to be a very transactional profession um, several decades ago. And it's certainly not like that in many industries and many corporations now. Um, and I think that education will um, essentially follow suit and um, be in step with that. I know many of my supply chain colleagues are interested in going back for masters, and I think that it's a great way to expand your knowledge base, um, to get more in touch with those other areas of the corporation where you might have worked some, um, but as you better understand and refresh your memory on how to kind of speak their terms, um, I think we're more likely to be seen as having a seat at the executive table if we're ready to um, sort of talk eye to eye on everything. Okay, now crossover capabilities. A few years ago, I, I noticed a trend in speaking to audiences of all sizes where a lot of people entering the procurement profession were coming from the finance department or a financial background. Do you envision that that crossover capability will exist for people for procurement, let's say going into finance more? Do, do you know the interchangeability factor? Uh, do you know what I'm talking about, Amy? Oh, absolutely. I understand um, what you're what you're trying to express there. Um, I think there is some capability uh, for crossover into the financial. Um, obviously, depending on the industry and the technical, because um, some aspects of finance um, are more heavily regulated, and um, there might be some additional education needs to be able to cross over. But I know in my organization, certainly, if there was an interest to cross over, you could. Um, I think, at least among my peers group that I'm used to within my organization and perhaps some others, um, I think sometimes there's a hesitancy to cross over because a lot of people who are in supply chain really enjoy um, the contact with outside vendors and working with them that way, where um, finance tends to be a more insular role and it tends to be more focused on just working with those inside your own corporation. Um, but I don't foresee it being an educational barrier to make the crossover. I think it might be more of a, a cultural fit for people depending on their personal preferences. So this assimilation could be a good thing then, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you this. You know, time flies pretty quickly with a good conversation. So we only have a couple minutes left. In about a minute, can you tell us what is it meant being part of the 3030 program? And, of course, being the megawatt winner. 
Um, it's been extremely rewarding. You know, it was um, a really nice validation of the things that I've accomplished so far in my career. Um, it's been surprising, honestly, the attention that has been um, paid and the interest. Um, and it's, it's really been a wonderful opportunity, and I'm very grateful to Thomas Mann and ISM for um, hosting the 30 Under 30 program, both for myself and um, for my peers who also won the 30 Under 30. And I do think it's a fabulous way for other millennials to see that, you know, supply chain is a wonderful up-and-coming career and that it's being recognized as a career and it's not just a transactional procurement environment anymore. I think they're doing a great job to elevate that. Um, so it's been, it's been wonderful so far, honestly. Great. Now, Kristen, can I ask you this? With the, and one of the things that, that Amy has mentioned is the other 30 under 30, did all of these 30 get a chance to meet, at least virtually speaking? And, and do they all have contact with one another? Have, have they, in essence, or, or has Thomas Ned and ISM helped to sort of facilitate, if you will, uh, I don't want to use the term LinkedIn group, but, you know, that kind of a, 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 a communication setup? Well, as a matter of fact, there is a LinkedIn group. Um, they have all virtually met. Um, they all are aware of each other and who, who everyone is and where everyone works. Um, most of them will be attending the ISM conference in Indianapolis, so they'll have the chance to meet there in person when we honor them um, on, the, on Sunday night when everyone first gets in. Um, so it'll be nice for them to meet and greet and, and talk in person. Um, one of the great things about last year's group was by the time we got to the conference, a lot of them had already reached out to each other. Uh, there were people that shared rooms with each other. They literally connected before and and really bonded as a group. And we hope that this year's um, class of winners will be the same. Well, Amy, thank you. And, of course, Kristen, thank you for joining us today. I, I really enjoyed the opportunity uh, to talk with you and, and uh, you know, uh, looking forward very much so to the next uh, Top 30 Under 30 program. But uh, really, Amy, all the best to you and, and great success going forward. Thank you. And thanks again and for course, having us on. And, of course, to you, our listeners, thank you for sharing what is your most valuable asset, which is your time. Again, I want to remind you that this entire broadcast has been recorded, and you can listen on an on-demand basis. Until I come at you over these virtual airwaves again, I remain your host as always, John Hanson. Have a great day. Bye for now. <laughs> Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.